0: Says, get
1: that India, big boy! What a shot! What a shot! Campbell killer Wow, I mean, I've been saying in the last couple of weeks that sport is a funny business. Rugby league is a weird game. And uh, this week in your interaction podcast, I'm your host Forty Twenty, also known as John. Joining me, as always, is my good mate Sixties. And uh, this one, it's a bit of a pinch yourself moment, isn't it?
0: Was there a game on tonight?
1: Oh, I, I mean, I, I can barely, <laughs> I can barely remember anything. It's the last eighty minutes are a blur. No, the Parramatta Eels in in one of the most historic regulation ga- season games of the. Uh, when we were, talk- we're talking about going back to the actual 70s itself, but even of just the modern NRL, with so much on the line, Melbourne Storm playing for a-, a piece of coveted history, a team that is always up for milestone games, o- uh, Oregon, Felice Kafusi up for his 150th NRL game, I think as well. Uh, so much to play for the Melbourne Storm, Parramatta having finally snapped their slump that lasted a month with a, a solid, but not spectacular win over the Cowboys, down multiple key players, no Reed Marnie, no Reagan Campbell-Gillard, no Micah Siva, no Ryan Madison, uh, no rights to be in this contest. And instead, not only have they produced the upset of the season, arguably, but the 22-10 scoreline, based on Melbourne's statistical dominance, is such an outlier as well. They, they have put the hard stop on the most dominant offensive juggernaut in the game.
0: Uh, there was there was nothing nothing about tonight that was fluky in any way, shape, if, or form. If forwarding.
1: anything, it was the reverse. The fl- Melbourne had all the fluky luck. The ball, the bounce went their way. They had some uh, you know minor calls early go their way. They had you know better injury luck than the Parramatta reels in the course of the game. It, insane. Uh, you know uh, we we salute the players a lot, and they deserve to be you know applauded for their efforts tonight because there is not a single player, and we're going to talk about them at length but there's not a single player that, you know, deserved to be criticised tonight. Uh, but well done to the coaching staff. Uh, much maligned over the last uh, sort of four to six weeks. And they they produced a real gem. Uh, they, they outfoxed Melbourne. They had some attacking shapes that Melbourne weren't ready for. Um, they, you know, the defensive structures in general were incredible. I mean, Melbourne scored two tries. Uh, and, you know, one of them at least was people decrying it as being too easy down that new... Uh, left edge, which is funny because the problem was the right edge before and now it's the left edge. Uh, but the desperation, the want to, I mean, that, that from top to bottom, that is a club win, isn't
0: it? It is its is an amazing win. I don't know about you, but I, I, I think I'm going to find it impossible to create a 3-2-1, oh. sorry, to award a 3-2-1 tonight. What we saw tonight was everything that we've been asking for. We spoke about it in the preview pod. But it's been everything that we wanted to see tonight. We saw resilience, n- not just evidence of resilience. We saw resilience by the bucket load. That scramble was strong evidence of of that. It was, and just an amazing win. Just an amazing win.
1: Well, let's try and make a sense of what happened on the field there because this one is a doozy. Uh, Parramatta Eagles twenty two with uh, many points left on the board due to just tough luck and the bounce of the ball, defeating the Melbourne Storm 10 out at Suncorp Stadium, which uh, not only did the Eels put an end to the 2021 streak, and not only did the Eels become one of the few teams in recent years to sweep Melbourne in a regulation season in a two-game set, uh, they also put an end to the Queensland streak, which, uh, as commentary was uh, rather uh, jovially uh, having a a jest about, said that dates back to the previous state government like the, the previous leadership in the state, it's been that long. So uh, what a win. So for the Melbourne Storm, it was Raymond Smith in the 18th minute and Isaac Lumi Lumi in the 29th. They got them on the board in the first half. Ryan Pappenhausen hitting just one of his two conversion attempts. And then for the Eels, uh, Blake Ferguson nabbing a double and he was in sensational, Nick. Nu- this was a prime Fergo game and something we'll talk about uh, moving forwards. Along with Hayes Dunster and a sensational reward for Joey Lusick, who started and finished the uh, match-sealing try in the 63rd minute. Mitchell Moses was just two from four, but geez, he squeezed those two conversions he missed. They weren't uh, weren't far off from going in. He did add a penalty goal in the 45th minute. And then in terms of the team stats, Eels just ahead in possession, 51 to 49%. Uh, time of possession favoring the Eels in a similar margin. 30 minutes and four seconds for the Blue and Gold to the Melbourne Storms, 28-53. Uh, well, just ridiculously good completion rate, 90% for Parramatta Eels, 37 to 41. Uh, and that, that was one of the real big building blocks of that game, not giving Melbourne cheap possession return and holding on to the ball. Melbourne in reply, 71% 29 of 41. So both teams with the same amount of sets. Uh, Melbourne ahead in a lot of key attacking categories, which is not surprising in the flow of that game. Melbourne threw a lot of punches at Parramatta, but the Eels just wanted it more. 210 runs for the Storms. Parramatta's 196. 1737 meters. Parramatta's 1651. Uh, Post contact meters actually very close though. 509 meters to 499. Uh, eight line breaks to four. Parramatta with more tackle breaks, 27 to 25. Average set distance favoring Melbourne by about 2 metres, to 42.4 to 40.3. Uh, and Melbourne with a lightning quick play the ball speed, 3.18 seconds. The Parramatta's 3.74. Uh, and Melbourne with more offloads as well. That was something I noticed, that until the final five minutes, we didn't actually offload, offload the ball much at all. It was I think it was at 12.4 and then ended up 13.8. So we uh, doubled our offload count very late in the piece there. Uh, Wouldn't you
0: say just... just- To interrupt your runner's stats. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, interrupt me, mate.
0: That this was a game of getting the absolute rugby league basics right and building your game off the basics, which is that what we saw tonight is Parramatta football. And there's all the criticism that's been there saying that Parramatta football isn't this and Parramatta football isn't that and it's effort-heavy. Well, mate, tonight... Yeah, it was effort but, heavy. But and you, you look know, at the result, the know, what,
1: You know what it takes to beat the Melbourne Storm? That the benchmark of the competition is effort heavy performances.
0: And exactly.
1: And and so certainly across the course of regulation season, you might have times where the effort struggles and it's going to hurt you. But if you want to be able to beat Melbourne, which is you know, that is the litmus test of can you win a premiership? Can you beat the Melbourne Storm? That's what it takes. And so yeah, reflected on the field tonight in the effort. And it wasn't just about front loading because they front loaded, but they also back loaded. Um, and I'll get to that later because visually, the scenes of what Melbourne presents at the end of the game are almost unprecedented. They were physically pummeled. They were they could not get themselves back to make a run. They couldn't. They were falling off tackles. There was no one in support. Me- Parramatta just literally ran them off the park. So, back to defensive stats. Now uh, both teams very similar. Eighty nine point four percent effective tackle rate for the Storm. Eighty eight point one for the Eels. Uh, 12 errors for the Storm to Melbourne's 10. Melbourne conceding 6 penalties to Parramatta's 3. And that was a big part too, was the discipline uh, in terms of defence there. Uh, Parramatta not getting uh, caught going high or doing anything silly too much. Uh, But 4 ruck infringements against the Eels to Melbourne's 1. And then interchanges used uh, 7 for Melbourne and 8 for Parramatta with a number of HIAs both teams too, by the way, which will be part of the uh, breakdown on a team level. Individual stats, mate. Uh, leading the way, no surprise, Isaiah Papali'i, 179 metres, uh, but that entire trio of middle forwards, Isaiah Papali'i, Nathan Brown and Junior Paula I'd argue, statistically, Junior Polo, 16 runs, 136 metres, Nathan Brown, 22 runs, 176 metres, uh, with uh, some tackle breaks and, and other auxiliary stats to back them up each. I'd argue that, obviously, season-best games, if not, in terms of the reaching absolute high metrics, as you know, but Junior and, and Brownie can go over 200. I'd argue not only are they season best for impact, they're arguably career best. They're just outstanding work from our middles. They bludgeoned the Melbourne Storm and really laid that platform. But elsewhere, Garferson only 97 metres, but his involvements were quality. And obviously he got his game cut short due to a lower leg injury, which he quickly dismissed to the sideline commentary, saying he was fine. But the rest of the back line, all over 100 uh, dunster 148 meters penassini 110 meters who did great against Justin mullen by the way wonga blake 102 ferguson 101 dylan brown going up over 100 uh then we had in the back row nathan brown i mentioned 176 off the bench bryce cartwright 108 meters makatoa a solid 79 so just strong contributions across the park there. the lowest meterage from any player on the team was 17 meters from hipgrave who came on at the end and then after that it was 43 meters from mitchell moses Everyone else was up over 50. Oh, sorry, race down 34 metres too, my bad. But everyone else was up, well up over 50, like closer to 100 if they weren't over 100. So what a sensational team effort. Uh, where do you want to start with this one, mate? Because I have a lot of things I want to talk about, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm worried that we might be going over like the hour 20 mark at this point because this is going to be a big one.
0: Look, I think that, um, that there's going to be... <laughs> Let me just backtrack a bit. I, I've, I just got distracted by... Yoko, who, when she heard you say it's going to go over the hour 20, just let go of it and expletive. So I got to, got got to keep gonna... the
1: live listeners on their feet, you know, just throw the little <laughs> their little jab with the hook every now and then.
0: <laughs> my dad, my dad. <laughs> so I, the, for anyone that's listening, this will tell you just how raw these takes are straight after the game. But uh, I was actually going to start with the only area of the game that really concerned me. And that was we gave Melbourne some of their best attacking opportunities off our own kicks. It seemed like every time oh we managed to have the ball hit the turf in Melbourne's quarter from an attacking kick, somehow the ball would either find a Melbourne hand. And that's why the bad luck was t- talking about our yeah. tack backs. Or or they got a, a quick restart, a fortunate quick restart, and they made some serious ground off those restarts because there were so many eels that were pushing up to uh, contest the ball yeah. that they were getting us on the back foot at those moments. That was the only negative that I could find. It was really the only time I was letting go with expletives during the game.
1: But even then, uh, we, we, we'd gotten inside Melbourne's heads with those kicks. They, they didn't want a bar of either Dylan Brown or Mitchell Moses' attacking bombs. And we, we were often contesting the ball either alone or having the dominant run at it. And then if not for some... There are times where I felt like we could have just caught the ball and played on instead of trying to tap back, but we also had just had some bad luck. But even Melbourne's first try, the one set up for, was it Raymond Smith? Uh, was it the first try or the second try? Might have been the second try. Came off a, a Ryan Pappenhausen knock-on in the contest that the referees missed. So we just had them completely rattled on those high balls, which is fascinating.
0: Yeah, it, as I said, that was that was the only time that I was feeling... Um, frustration or concern during the game, because as that game was progressing, and and just to digress off off pure um, football analysis and going straight into emotion, I was sitting there all through the game and thinking, just keep going, yeah, <laughs> just keep yeah, going. And that's just the thing
1: because you're you're ahead by uh, twelve with uh, you know roughly twenty minutes to go, we scored. In the sixty-third minute, so leaving 17, seventeen minutes on the clock with a little bit less of the conversion, but and, and we, we were right in it. But you just know Melbourne two two scores that's nothing. Like you just you've got to keep going. You got to keep forcing it forwards. You got to you know make that next tack. We got to back up. You know, and then, then in that period, you know there were insane swings. Mitchell Moses tries to stab the ball into the end goals, and then you saw Jerome Hughes scoop it up on the full and then step down and link up with Ryan. Uh, was it Nico Hines? Sorry, and, and Ryan Pappenhausen looming up then on the inside. And just as I had all game, earlier in the, in the piece, Junior Paulo guns down Josh Adokar. And then in this one, you had Keegan Hipgrave coming across and helping make the cover tackle. Just crazy stuff from these guys who clearly wanted it today. And, and that, that, that's a testament to how much, that, and we mentioned it in our preview pod, the desperation to fall on the loose ball. The one, you know, to win that scramble drill, to get back and make up those numbers in defense. It goes so far when you're playing any team, but especially the Melbourne Storm, because that's what they do.
0: Absolutely. And and as you said, that was what we were talking about in the preview in terms of the, the, all of those... The violence uh, was right well, there.
1: J- Junior Paul and Nathan Brown brought hammers in defense. Uh, then we talked about the desperation to dive on the loose ball. We saw that. We saw the desperation to get back and cover. And we saw the speed and attack all of a sudden the offense was getting downhill and Melbourne's defensive patterns could not go for us when we went. And it wasn't like basic block to block, but we threw different looks at them down our right edge and Melbourne could not go with us. So that was like literally a checkbox of one, two, three, violence, desperation, and speed. You know, those sort of things that we were talking about.
0: There was plenty that was being made by the commentators about the Eels are back and uh, lots of, Worthy praise that was coming tonight. Do you think that that's going to be the overall take from supporters that the Eels are back?
1: I think there'll be a good segment of the fan base that will will acknowledge the win for what it is, as in terms of being a, a landmark moment. You know, not just for Parramatta but for the wider NRL. You know, literally a slice of history was stopped because the Eels wanted it more. Uh, but at the same time, we've seen, we've seen that the uh, those that don't want the the coaches there and those that don't want certain plays there, they'll always find a way to complain. But th- this is a game that should be celebrated, uh, well and well and truly for the next couple of days, if not for the next week. Given that it's a a pseudo bife parameter, although you do have to question now how much this might play into taking on Penrith and now that the ladder positions might be up for grabs a little bit different depending on results this week, but. You'd still think that the Eels will probably be resting players next week, given that we're going to be banged up coming out of this one.
0: Look, it's probably it is most likely that that will happen. However, maybe that's a case of the players that are playing next week. We saw a number of them tonight, yeah. Because, there's I think, there's little doubt that you're going to have uh, Ray Stone and Keegan- Hipgrave unless they get playing, unless Hipgrave gets suspended
1: for that little, I mean, belly touch. Happenhausen uh, on that they charge that came up for uh, Ryan staying down. So I don't think there's anything in it. But yeah,
0: so I think we're going to see those play. I, look, I'd be surprised if Mitch Moses was rested. I really would, because I think he's working his way back into form. you ride The hot hand as well. I don't. I don't want to. You just wouldn't want to disrupt that and given that he's had his time out of the game with the injury and it looks like he's getting over that injury um look I don't I don't think we're going to see a change in the halves whether Gutho rested with the uh, bit of the knock that he picked up that might be another matter and we suggested that maybe Gutherson would be uh would be rested I think Manly's a shoe in to finish in fourth place I think what we might now see because the Roosters are Having lost Joey Manu, who I reckon has been one of their... Well, I, I think he's been right up there with Teddy in terms of the one who's been driving the Roosters to get home in a lot of matches. Uh, I think I think they're cooked. I think the Raiders beat the Roosters next week, and I think we hold on to fifth place. I think that'll be how the...
1: And we take on whoever sneaks into the final spot in the eight Yeah,
0: yeah, I... Yeah, I think that's. I think that's how it's going to play out. I, I, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, um, strange things happen in rugby league, as we saw tonight. The unexpected. <laughs> I am not going to call it strange. Call Football
1: it is weird. Football is funny. What I've been saying for the last few weeks, you know, sport, the sports, the the narratives in sports that are written by the players, and and this is not rugby league. This is every sport. Oftentimes, would would be if you saw it as a movie, you'd be rolling your eyes because of. How convenient the plot twists are and whatnot. Uh, it's, it's just bad writing, but that's what sports are. That's why they're so beautiful to follow. So,
0: yeah. So, let's get into the analysis of the game. Um, last week, we saw the Spine being quite instrumental in achieving the victory over the Cowboys. And I thought our forwards, I maybe finished just ahead, just over the Cowboys, but. Nothing that was spectacular in the performance of the forwards last week. This week, it was a dominance of the Melbourne pack. No matter which way you look at it, the forwards laid the platform and the and the spine were able to play off that. So that's why I'm going straight back to saying this was para football yep. that was being played tonight. And if you get the basics right, and you lay that platform as Parramatta likes to do, then you can start playing off that, and we saw what they were doing to play off that. The blind side plays. And can I just say, and it's I'm going to be talking a little bit out of um, sequence in maybe how we want to attack this analysis, <laughs> but G, I reckon a key um, input into this game came from Bryce Cartwright.
1: Yeah, Bri- Bryce thrown into the action a lot earlier this week. He came on uh, a little bit under 10 minutes ago in the first half, I feel like. Uh, and he he brought energy. Uh, he was chasing after the kickers. Uh, there was obviously some really quality offensive touches. And it wasn't just the the work in the lead-up to the Joey Lussick try, who, shout out to Joey Lussick too there. He, he actually started that by spying the short side being available uh, to attack. And it was a for backing up. And then Bryce obviously having the nice uh, ball playing at the line. But Bryce just running into the defensive line. Uh, Melbourne really struggled to contain his energy. And that was a a timely introduction and a huge difference maker off the bench for the blue and gold.
0: Well, if you, if what you want to be able to pose in attack is questions to the defense, that's a captain obvious statement, but Bryce Cartwright is the type of player who individually can ask more questions of the defense than the average player. And that's just how it's how he's always been. It's it's led to errors in his game,
1: <laughs> but we haven't seen that. But we haven't seen that so much. At Parramatta. he's been a lot more measured with his temperament.
0: Absolutely, and his choices tonight were brilliant. They were measured, um, and you could see that he he was causing doubt in the defenders' minds when he was taking that ball to the line. Yep, and and it, it was. I just think it was something that I've been wanting to see an earlier introduction of Cartwright into the game, because he's been coming on with 20 minutes to go when matches have pretty much been decided. And that's fine. If it's, if the match is in its clutch moments and you're looking for a game breaker at that point in the game, but we know what's been happening in the last few weeks, the games had been well and truly over. So his early injection tonight was uh, something that I wanted to see, and I think it was critical in creating opportunities for the Eels.
1: No, a very, very fair call. Uh, we saw a lot of the bench get involved in the last uh, exchanges of the game. Ray Stone coming on and really jamming up the storm in the middle defensively. Had him some nice carries too. And then you Makatoa, know, 11 runs, 79 metres, not the flashiest numbers given that he's gone up over 100 in his first two games, but 32 minutes off the bench, injected into the contest early, uh, you know, becoming part of the middle rotation. So love to see what the bench did. And it was also uh, good to see uh, a very different bench strategy pay off. Obviously leaning heavily on the starters because that's where most of your, your blue chip talent is. But the guys on the bench spearheaded by Bryce Cartwright absolutely making a difference tonight. So well done to the coaches uh, on that regard and well done to the bench players for having that impact.
0: Yeah. And while a lot was made, Pre-match about the Melbourne winning streak, there was, of course, the Keegan Hipgrave winning streak, where uh, Keegan <laughs> Hipgrave has not
1: eight for eight, baby,
0: has not experienced, has not experienced defeat I, in the NRL wearing the blue I, and gold.
1: I, I said on Teamless Tuesday, I, I, I said in the previous podcast, Brad Arthur rolling out the big guns. You know, he's had Keegan Hipgrave wrapped up in cotton wool for the finals and for the big games before the finals, and here we are, the 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 streak master himself. You, know, you talk about Melbourne streak. The man is eight for eight in 20, um, 2021. and the other funny uh, factoid: uh, Eels undefeated when Ferguson scores a try uh, in twenty twenty one. So that stays alive with a double to Fergo. And do you want to yeah. you want to talk about the big man there? I, I thought, you know, once again, the numbers don't look incredible on the papers. 11, uh, 11 carries for one hundred and one meters. Obviously, the two tries with two line breaks to go with them, and then a couple of tackle busts. But defensively. I think there was only one moment in the first half where uh, Quentin Guffs ends up making a, a cracking tackle on Josh Radder regardless, but I felt that Ferguson was even remotely out of position. Even then, it was a little bit of a coin flip call and he just chose the wrong option. But beyond that, I thought he defended really strongly. Really good contact uh, up against... Well, not up against the, the physical dominant edge of the, the Storm because Olam's on the other side, but they threw a lot of him at the, um, on that edge and they always turned him back pretty much.
0: Yeah, and... I suppose <clears throat> we have to keep coming back as we're, uh, I mean, we're, <laughs> it's interesting so, because so, we're uh, in, in the excitement of our analysis where we are jumping around a bit with different players that we were impressed by. And I, I guess that comes back to the fact that there was so many good performances across the park, so many people that fulfilled their role just as they should, that it becomes hard to just stick to one or two because as soon as one of us Starts to point out a player, uh, the other one starts to come up with another one that we'd like well, to Well, you sort of, he of
1: end up segueing into something, yeah. But uh, sorry, to correct myself, he was up against Olam, and that was another feather in, in young Will Pennissini's cap, I felt like, up against the most physically dominant centre in the competition. And Will morvin held his own. You know, Olam, you know, had a few cracks at the trial line, and between he and Fergo uh, managed to stay strong, and then the young ball in return uh, getting a what was it? 110 meters off 14 carries, and doing a lot of tough work along in those sets. And barring that one moment, and that that's a welcome to the unneroll moment if you have ever seen one, where Cameron Munster does the cheeky little uh, peel off strip on him. He was really really good. So, but that yeah that, that that reminds me now of something I also wanted to talk about in terms of a macro level thing. But I don't want to I don't want to keep jumping across everything. But remind me later the that second half defensive resilience where Melbourne had that run of possession. Uh, that's something we really should be talking about later on in the podcast.
0: Yeah, and <clears throat> um, just while we're sticking on individual performances, then before we we go to the uh, looking at the defensive resolve, has has Brad got some tough decisions to make in terms of the players that are putting up their hand for selection consideration in a big game like this? Uh, even last week, in just turning things around when it comes to the finals. I mean, I mean, we're yet to see what's going to transpire in that game against the Panthers. But you'd have to think that if he goes in with a relatively similar starting, uh, well, start 17 for the match against the Panthers, and as I said, I, he might rest one or two players, but I think given the circumstances of players that are unavailable, I don't know whether we're necessarily going to see too much difference in the team that takes the field.
1: We, we will be waiting uh, um, on concussion protocols so, for both Murata and Shawmaine. Yeah, yeah, so
0: my question is this. Are we likely to see Will Pennicini continue to be selected when uh, Tom Opechik is fit and well? Are we likely to see... Um, Ryan Madison comes straight back into the back row. Are we likely to see um, Oregon return to the bench? And I'm not, I'm not saying this as a knock on no, any no, no. of those.
1: These are difficult decisions to be made. Yeah, there is legitimate pros and cons, and the guys that have stepped into the breach have stepped up. So that's why we're having this conversation. For for mine, I feel like the the backline argument is pretty cut and dry. Uh, this job is now Will Penasini's to lose. Uh, Tom Hopperchick having, you know, the the worst possible stuff happened to him away from the field at the worst possible time. Um, and in that case, you know, next man up was Will Penasini, and he, he has just looked like a natural. Uh, you know, there, there's going to be rookie moments, and there was one tonight with that Cameron Munster strip. But physically, he he looks like he belongs in the NRL. Uh, he's making good defensive calls, good defensive execution. Uh, yeah. He He brings... Especially given how we've been a little bit light coming off our our goal line. I feel like he brings that extra oomph in those carries. He's good for you know eight plus meters even when a set defensive line is in front of him. So that job for mine is Will Penasini's to lose. Um, and in light of that, uh, the question is, do you play him against Penrith? I don't know. I feel like you do. But maybe you, you want a cotton wool as part of the core players. I don't know. The other, the tougher questions for me Geez, that that edge spot now. Murata Niakore has really helped shore up that right edge defensively. He runs hard. Uh, he he brings so much aggression and defense. Does Ryan Madison come back into the starting team, or does he go back to the bench? I don't know that that one. I cannot tell you. On, on
0: yeah, the, that, that's the. That's I think the that one. is a genuinely tough question.
1: Because on, on the bench, oh, I could see Oregon coming back into the mix for Ray Stone, maybe Kig and Hipgrave, depending on on how they like their matchups. Uh, if they feel like they're going to need, because once again you're going to get Reagan Campbell-Gillard back for the finals too, which is another huge factor. Correct. You're going to have two,
0: which then, which then maybe moves Isaiah back to, back edge. to the back row. Yeah, or, or back to the bench. But yes. I, I would think to the to the back row, you'd potentially have um, Isaiah and Morata um, in the back row, and Definitely of not course, um, and then. And then Nathan Brown at lock, and then you're you're starting to talk about how you construct the bench when you've got someone like uh, Maka who has done everything that's been asked of him
1: mm-hmm.
0: on that on that bench. Um, gee, it, it's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think easy. it'll be it's it'll be easy. interesting decisions to be made. But you know what? Far better to have decisions uh, yeah. about. Players that offer something exactly, then decisions about oh, who are we going to like, select
1: on that bench? Uh, Bryce Cartwright is one hundred percent locked in. He he is your first picked impact player off the bench.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Then
1: after that, it is honestly three spots in the air because you're going to have assuming let, let's assume Reagan Camiguin comes back. You put uh, ice to the edge. So you've got him on one edge, and then let's say Morata on the other edge. You've you've now got three spots to fit in: Ryan Madison, Sean Lane, Mackenzie Makatoa, Oreg Fusi, Will Smith, Keegan Hipgrave. Uh, goodness, am I forgetting anyone here now? I don't think I'm forgetting anyone now, but maybe I am. Just have a quick look at the teams. I think that's it. So you got you got some tough calls in there, and and I, I don't know how you make them. I. Because once again, the the Parramatta Eels are built a little bit like an it, it, there's an element of the NBA to the Parramatta Eels. I feel like personally, where in the regulation season your bench gets more time and more time, but in the finals we're going to lean heavily on the starters because they're they're your superstars, right? Uh, Junior Paulo, Regan Campbell, Guard Nathan Brown. They're they're the guys that are meant to be your best players. You you, you play them for more minutes. And that's what happens in the NBA. The, the use of the bench dials back a lot, and I feel like that's how Parramatta are built to play. And we saw that tonight in that, you know, Junior Polo. What were the actual minutes here? Junior Polo went 64. Ice went 74. Uh, Brownie went 74. Lane went 38, but that was with an early HIA. Murata went 51. That was with an HIA. So, you know, the, the starting forwards, they're the ones that, you know, when the, when the big game is on, they're the ones going to be leaning on.
0: Yeah. Um, so... Just getting away from that because we're that's probably going to be the subject of uh, preview pods mm-hmm. and discussions around that. Um, let's go to the match itself and tactically, how did Brad Arthur plan this attack? What 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 is that has been the core of pulling Melbourne apart so convincingly tonight? Because they only lost the two games prior to tonight. One, of it's course, was three. Parramatta earlier in the season, but this was as comprehensive victory against a just on full strength Melbourne Storm. As we know, it it, it just had Asafa uh, Solomona and uh, Fanukan who were missing from the lineup. Um, so, how? What do you think the core tactics were tonight, mate? The what worked for the Eels?
1: So what stood out to me, and we mentioned this right in the initial uh, opening of the podcast, was a lot of the fundamentals. Uh, the Eels obviously strong through the middle, and that, that's where a lot of rugby leaguers won and lost initially. But then fifth tackle execution outside of Mitchell Moses dropping the ball early, uh, having a look at the the kick pressure, the Eels were fantastic. Uh, the both, both he and Dylan Brown, I thought Dylan Brown's complimentary game was outstanding tonight, uh, would give the ball plenty of hang time, allowing the kick chase to get down there and really suffocate uh, Pappenhausen, uh, Lumi Lumi, and then uh, Raymond Smith, when he ended up uh, tagging out to that edge to replace out her car. So that, that meant that there was no, obviously th- there was the little outliers like the Mitchell Moses uh, kick that was intercepted by uh, Jerome Hughes, sorry, but there was very few cheap meters for Melbourne to start steamrolling their way through sets. So that really stood out to me. Um, so th- those funda- fundamental aspects of why the Eels were able to start getting in the ascendancy. The other thing for me was the red zone execution. Uh the Eels played so much faster than they have for a number of uh, weeks, if not months. We showed some different looks and what we'd seen in previous weeks was the final passes from uh Mitch every now and then but more so Guffo uh were just a little bit off the mark and, and tonight they were pinpoint. You saw Mitch throw a, a beautiful uh sort of veiled cutout pass to Ferguson uh, looking to the the Melbourne defense was sold that he was going to Pennasini. And he, he throwed it with just that perfect amount of deception and loft to find Fergo to put him over in the corner. Likewise, Quentin Gufferson in the second half putting uh, Hayes Dunster over with a, a beautifully executed left edge movement. So, a couple of different looks there. We, we threw, it wasn't it wasn't the uh, the old double under that we used to do with Lane and, and Michael Jennings, but there was an element of that with the middle forwards, uh, sort of like the double, the double crash option, where the, it sort of uh, tied up the interior of the Melbourne defence enough that it allowed us to play man to man out wide and that's how we managed to get those great looks and score.
0: Yeah, you had player in motion shapes that were happening that caused confusion in the defense. And let's face it, we were just we had a number of weeks of just going side to side. And you try to explain to people that that isn't what they prepare to do as a team. Something goes wrong out on the field when it's not when you don't have the sort of execution that you have tonight because the execution that you had tonight that's not just something that suddenly appears no mm-hmm. we saw it earlier in the season mm-hmm. and for for as i said for some reason it just wasn't happening for the team they were in a funk for a number of weeks and nobody could draw any parallel of uh, between the team that we'd seen in those those that sequence of losses with the the team and its execution tonight because as we said t- tonight wasn't a, a a fluke win it wasn't a, a win that had not been it, well let's just say if this had have been a match played say in round eight or nine earlier in the season it would have fitted in with the form line that the eels were showing at that part of the season instead we had that funk that was going for a period of time and you just felt that there were little signs last week we talked about it last week it wasn't a complete performance it wasn't a performance we got excited about but it just had those moments where we thought do you know what they're looking to execute this they're looking to execute that mm-hmm. we saw that glimpse of the blindside play mm-hmm. which led to that try from gutho where Hayes Dunster ended up centre, uh, centre field kicking for uh, Gutherson to and chase sure through enough, and
1: score. Joey, Lussick, and then the, the profiteer this tonight, week of it. We
0: had it. We had it. Yeah, with Lussick's try. So there's all of those plays, and the thing is, that's the that's the sort of stuff that they work for. It's the sort of stuff that they prepare for, as these things aren't just suddenly appearing and. It's something that's brand new. We've we've known for years about those sorts of plays that they like to put on. Counting numbers, working out the, the the side of the of the ruck to go, counting numbers, calling for the ball down that side and going for it. And like you did earlier, I wanna give some praise to Joey Lusick because I gave him a bit of praise last week because I thought he took the team forward with his dummy half play and I thought he did the same thing again tonight.
1: Great service, uh, some opportunistic yeah. runs, uh, you know, defended really tightly through the middle. That is all you can ever ask for from a backup half. But it's definitely, I mean, Reid Barney, obviously an incredible player. Um, but Lasic's play now that he's out, removed from that, uh, the the team's downward spiral where he had that you know rough game against Manly, uh, he's been closer to a starting dummy half, like an NRL average starting dummy half, than to a backup. And that's a huge credit to him. Huge credit to the recruitment. So well done to both parties there. Um, and yeah, he was huge tonight.
0: Yeah, now, next thing to talk about too, in uh, tactically, is the level of aggression that the Eels played with against the Storm. I thought that, that was something that was maintained yeah. for 80 minutes. Junior, Junior 80 Borlo minutes. and
1: Nathan Brown buoyed them. Like there, There's no other way to say it. They physically imposed themselves in defense and just crunched them, and the rest of the team went with them because of it.
0: I thought that physically... That was one of Junior's best games of the season. Might have even been close to the
1: best. That is a career game for Junior. The numbers don't say it, but the tape does.
0: Yeah. Um, The other person that I'm going to highlight for physicality is Dylan Brown, because I thought that he was outstanding. I I actually thought that tonight was one of his most complete performances.
1: I was about to say, that that was an all-around great game from Dylan. He contributed fluently in attack. Uh, he he had some great fifth tackle options. The, there wasn't that hesitation that you sometimes see out of him when he's trying to weigh up his options and and the game's gone too fast for him. And then defensively, I mean the, the kid has a heart of fire. He he is there for every break in cover in cover defense. He, he knocks Lumi Lumi into touch in the first half in what you know could have been an absolutely pivotal moment in the game. Uh, he he's back for other. There was the the Nico Hines line break off that Jerome Hughes thing. He was back for that too. He he just he has a, a heart unlike anyone else in terms of that sort of effort in his game.
0: Now now that we're talking about um, that effort that you you were mentioning then in defense, I'm gonna start off the because you wanted to get back to talking about defense. You mentioned that at the start of the podcast, you said you want to get back to that. I wanna start it off by that moment that you referenced earlier, and I thought it encapsulated Parramatta's game tonight. And that was junior chasing <laughs> when Car yeah, yeah, yeah. got the, the ball and, looked the and threatened to break away. The,
1: took away the inside channel, so Adokar had no option but to go into contact with... Uh, was it Moses? Uh, I'm not sure at the time. I'm trying to recall who it might have been. But it took away that inside channel, so he could not cut back, and he wrapped him up, and unfortunately Adokar uh, nicked up his hamstring in it. I don't think it's too serious, but it was enough to see him miss the rest of the game. But that... You, you circle those as big moments, right? Because that... Is something you, you put on a plaque and you sh- the rest of the team rallies to. The huge effort from the big man. He had no right to be there for that tackle, but he wanted it.
0: I would if if I was on the coaching staff, I would create a video highlights of the effort areas from tonight. Mm. Because I think there are there were so many moments and, and again I'm gonna come back to what we were talking about through the week and I and I mentioned moments in a game winning moments in a game and all and and when you win enough moments in a game it all adds up to winning the game yep. and there were so many moments like that tonight but I think the best one was that moment from Junior Paulo and as I said I think it I think it encapsulates the the overall attitude of the team tonight and as I said, if I was on the coaching staff, I would make a video highlights package of all of those moments in the game and just show it to the team and say, "This is how you be, how you are a team that can beat all of the teams that are uh, said to have a, a lock on a grand final yeah. spot."
1: I mean, and, and yeah. I'm
0: not getting, I'm, and I just want to say, I'm not going to get carried away and say. One win means that the Eels are going to go deep into the finals because, as we know, one week is a long time in Rugby League. We've seen it with it from the reverse part this this time because the even with a win last week, the Eels of last week wouldn't have got close to the storm tonight. But if, if nothing else, they proved what they are capable of doing with their best football. And I want them to believe in that if they can believe that they can produce that football, because it's, there's nothing to say that they can't. As there was nothing about tonight that was fluky because errors that Melbourne make, they forced on them. They applied pressure for the entire game. So I really hope that it, it ends up being something that they can refer back to, even when they're moving forward. You, you know, you don't like to look in the mirror, but... Man, that's something that they have to reflect on in terms of what they are capable of. So, sorry, we you, you wanted to talk about aspects of the um, of the defence, mate? Yeah,
1: there was a period in that second half where the game, obviously, very much on the line. We went into halftime at ten all. Eels getting that early penalty goal uh, to go twelve ten, and then build on from there. But Melbourne had an absolute glut of possession. You know, we saw the Will Pennisi one on one strip from Cameron Munster. Uh, aside from that, you know, a couple of Opportunistic line breaks and just you know a bit of luck going Melbourne's way there, and the Eels just turned it on in the intensity on their goal line. That just Melbourne didn't want it. They, were, they we talked about the speed of Parramatta's attack, the Eels in defence uh, sort of usurped the life and and speed out of Melbourne's offense in the second half. Uh, we saw them getting bundled into touch, Lumi Lumi going down that edge and getting absolutely you know smashed in the touch by Fergo and company, and. Yeah, uh, uh, the just the hustle on the goal line, and, and, and then it, oh, pardon my microphone there. But then you know you had the injection of Ray Stone coming on and and you know chopping guys down, and it was just a hundred percent heart, and it was the sort of desperation you you need to see for the finals.
0: Yeah, and when you get into the finals, it's going to be. And I'm going to keep coming back to it, winning moments. Yeah, and if you've got blokes so. out there who are prepared to bust a gut and do whatever it takes to to stop a uh, stop a break or prevent a break or stop a try, um, get to a loose sport, whatever the whatever the moment might be, force someone into touch, stop prevent yourself from going into touch or one of your teammates um, getting out of the end goal area. Or how many times do you see? a match turn on a little moment like that from a team. So uh, good signs in that regard tonight, uh, not just as a team, but from um, the collective individuals tonight. So, so, Mm -hmm. yeah, so much to like from it, again, (laughs) and... You know what? I am going to get carried away tonight. Hell, I'm going to enjoy this win. I was going to say we can't get carried away with one win, but I am going to enjoy. To- I, I mean, am this, enjoying this is tonight. A, this is a sign. I am nice carried win. away with the win, and I'm gladly getting carried away with the win tonight.
1: Our and- expectations. <laughs> so you go. You finish off.
0: Oh no! I, w- I was just going to say, I know that there are some supporters out there that um, it, have have actually publicly stated that they want Parramatta to lose every game. From here on for the rest of the year because they have certain things that they hope happen within the club. I can't cop that under any circumstance. And so tonight I just enjoyed the fact that for all of the supporters who cheer for the team, no matter what, even if you've been even if you've been down in the dumps, even if you've been angry with the team, if you're someone who cheers for the team regardless that win was for you and you and you have every right to enjoy it for anyone who's been death riding the team shove it up you
1: i think that's fair i think the the fact that you you're actively death riding a team that you know is been a top 4 contender for the last few seasons is just wild but you know it is what it is of our, our robust and diverse Parramatta fan base and we've 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 I mean times were tough recently we allowed plenty of people to vent on the website and and there's a lot of good you know good men and women in there but you can you can relate to you because they're frustrated we're losing but that's different to wanting the team to lose. And yeah and, that's a fair assessment.
0: And that's why and that's why I'm saying there's I know that there's supporters that have been angry and have been venting that anger but will still be out there cheering no matter what. My own personal um, annoyance is at supporters who actually say they hope that the yeah, Eels lock, lose.
1: That, that, that is just ridiculous. But they because exist.
0: that, I, I don't care how they what they can justify that. They can try to validate comments like that any way, shape, or form that they want. But I'll, I'll tell you straight out: anyone that takes that attitude is not. A true supporter, and I and and I would never back down from that because the moment that you death ride your own team, as I said, well, you know what you can go, go and get done to yourself.
1: <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, but
0: I yeah. don't want I don't want people like that supporting my team. No, no, no. no if no. I have some, if I have someone that's that takes that attitude, I I, I don't want them wearing no, no, the blue and gold during, in times because or after a win it, it like comes, that.
1: It comes back to people that you'd want if you're in the trenches, right? And that is exactly the sort of person you wouldn't want shoulder to shoulder because Absolutely. Yeah, no. They I, I know who know they, they are, are
0: too.
1: Yeah, and like I said, a very fair assessment of that. But thankfully, thankfully, at least those that are listening to the podcast and those that uh, read TCT by and large, uh, if not positive, are realist in their outlook for Parramatta, which is fine because, you know, like I said, sports are complex, they're weird, Um, You know, for a lot of all the good you can do, there is a lot of luck involved in sports too. And you know, Parramatta going on a bad run, you can understand why fans got upset, and you can understand why they were agitating for change. But that is very different to what you're uh, outlining, because which that fringe element certainly exists, and it is unfortunate. So
0: yeah, and uh, but anyway, now I I won't waste any more time on that because that's that's probably looking too much at the uh, at. Um, letting any negative people out there influence any thoughts. So I move on from that because, as I said, regardless of, of whatever happens, every time you have a win, you've got to enjoy it. And tonight was, well, just as we said a number of weeks ago, that the loss to Manly was a memorable one for all the wrong reasons. Tonight was a memorable one for all the right reasons yes, against against adversity, before the game, in terms of their form, in terms of the Melbourne's form, in terms of starting to lose players, and then during the game, the adversity that was faced with Lame, players that were going off the Verata, field. Um, and, uh, yeah, just the all the things that we wanted to see from the, from the Eels tonight, um, we saw it. And, of course, um, it's great this week. Let's now see it going forward as well.
1: Yeah, well, our prognosis coming into this game was... Uh, a win, obviously, the the ideal outcome, but a competitive loss would go a long way towards uh, building towards the finals. We highlighted the fact that if you can restrict Melbourne to 20 points or less, you've done incredibly well given how much of an offensive juggernaut they've been in 2021. And then here we are in the review and 10 points. You gave up 10 points. Yeah. And one of them off the back of a, a badly missed knock-on that led to the possession that resulted in the try. So yeah. Yeah. Melbourne, uh, you know, The benchmark competition, Parramatta went above and beyond, completed the 2-0 sweep of them in the regulation season, something that is almost never done in a a, a two-game set against Melbourne. To win both of them is just almost unheard of. It finishes off the 19-game winning streak in 2021. It finishes off the 13-game Queensland winning streak that Melbourne had going across multiple seasons. So, there is a little bit of element of getting carried away this week because the, the team has earned it. The fans that have stuck true have earned it. And... It, it is definitely something that now, regardless of the result next week outside of injuries, that, that's the only thing that can really hurt you now is injuries. A bad loss against Penrith where you're resting a chunk of plays doesn't mean anything. It's almost 2009 against the Dragons, right? Uh, your, yeah. your, your ladder position's almost locked in, depending on results. This week, yes, you could change it um, depending on, on what happens and then playing out. But, yeah, uh, this is a signpost win. This is something that maybe it doesn't go on to help us win the premiership because once again, sports are weird. Sudden death football, you know, a lot of stuff can happen. But if you go deep into the season, you definitely go back and you circle this one. This is the one that they show what they're made of, and that's that's what I said in my in my pre my pre my TLT post was that this is a chance after that month, that tired month of football, where so much was said about the team and, and their character. This week was their chance to make a, a statement about that to to write a reply in you know big sorry in in big bold letters. I'll get there. My microphone just tinkering a little bit there, but yeah, this, this was their chance to make a statement, and they did, and that's fantastic. That that's why I love sports because you can go four weeks in a row where you get absolutely pantsed and you're playing the worst football. That it doesn't even make sense that they're playing football that bad because they're such a good team and yet here we are, one side wing against the Cowboys, and then you, you literally... Uh, you're not carving your name into history, but you, in a way you, you have, because you're the team that stopped the streak.
0: Mate, um, do you know what? I don't know if there's anything more needs to be said now tonight. I think we've just... I think we've we've wrapped up our emotions. We've broken down the game as much as we can. Um, yeah, I've, literally... I've managed to... You know, it's funny. You talked to. We'd spoken before about um, talking in the in the podcast was cathartic to get things off your chest. I I was, I was almost losing the plot in terms of the excitement of the win before we started to the podcast to the point where I didn't know if I would be able to collect my thoughts enough to 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 have any any semblance of. well, I don't know if I want to use the word eloquence about <laughs> uh, my, my football reading, but
1: yeah, trying to string a few words together can be difficult when you're all hyped up.
0: Yeah. So, um, I feel that we've, uh, through the course of, uh, our chat on the, on this pod tonight, that, the thoughts have started to come together. I, probably if we were starting the podcast right now, I might be a little bit more analytical and, and less emotional. Definitely, But um, mate, it sounds like it, it seems like that's probably a good place for us to uh, wrap it up. Any, any final thoughts from yourself?
1: Oh, just, I want to wrap the players one to 17, the coaching staff, everyone. This was just a, like I said, it was such a club victory from top to bottom. Uh, truly, yeah. truly an awesome experience. And, it, you know the sort of game where you're sitting there and the palpitations are happening because the, the game's so close and you feel like years have been taken off your life because you know Melbourne can come back and yet they just wanted it more and that, that's what it came down to at the end of the day is the paramaterials wanted it more than the melbourne storm and that's and, and like like we said back in round 2 having beat the storm then and having beat the storm now this team knows what it takes uh, you know this team knows how to beat melbourne if arguably they might be the best equipped team in the competition to beat melbourne uh, as weird as it sounds, given that they might have bad matchups elsewhere, this might be the single best team to test Melbourne in the postseason, like they did in 2017 and like they did in 2020. So, uh, I mean, uh, this just makes it that much more pumped for the finals now. Uh, I, told, yeah, and, I said I was excited and, coming to this game uh, for good reason, and, and the, the boys delivered, and now I'm that much more excited moving forwards.
0: Well, just as a final comment from myself, the coming into this season, Parramatta and Penrith – well, as it's turned out with the ladder positions, Parramatta and Penrith were dealt the toughest draw Correct. where they had 10 matches against top six sides, which basically means they played everyone in the top six, top six twice. Then it starts to drop away with how often the other clubs in the top six have to play each other, down to Manly, who only have seven matches against the top six sides and that is significant if you've got three less matches and and don't get me wrong i'm not i'm not going to take anything away from manly because of the fact that they comprehensively beat the eels twice but when I, i think it was pretty fair to to be able to work out who the top six teams were going to be, maybe Manly might have been the outlier in that regard that a lot of people, I think that's including fair. myself, underestimated. Well,
1: them. it was sort of the, hinging on Tommy T, right? And he was out for the first chunk of the season. They looked absolutely dreadful. So you could you could understand, but he came good and they came good.
0: Well, look, the, the, the simplest thing would have been that in terms of the top six, you just swap Manly and the Raiders. Yes. and they, and you have the top six that most people would have nominated. So how you end up with with some teams playing everyone twice, and and then a, a team only playing them, uh, not playing everyone's twice to the extent that they play th- actually three less matches against the top six. Um, and, and as I said, even if you had a swapped Canberra for Manly, the Eels played Canberra twice this year, so it still it still worked out that way. Um, in, in, in terms of um, how the draw was, was uh, how it planned out. But uh, regardless, as I said, the I'm, I'm still pleased. I'm disappointed that the Eels won't finish top four. But I still think that when we're looking at the season, it is, uh, well, it's a long way from what Jimmy Smith rated them as one of the greatest disappointments of the season, the Eels team. that was his that was his call in this last week that he rated the eels one of the most disappointing teams of the season Uh, uh, and they just turned around sort of hot takes blow
1: my mind because like i said knowing being the media and being a fan knowing how crazy sports can be and knowing how much things can change in in the space of one game let alone a fortnight to make those sort of calls at this time of the year is just wild to me so
0: well especially oh look don't don't get me wrong i mean that's that was one hell of a, a, a bad run of, of form from the Eels, with those four consecutive losses. But again, any team, uh, manly at the start of the season without Turbo, they, they they were awful. I mean, they were they they leaked hundreds of points over over a very short period of time, and uh, it, it doesn't take too much to to turn a team's form around. Whether whether we're turned around for the rest of this season in terms of what we produce it remains to be seen. But again, geez, that was a, a harsh comment for Jimmy Smith to make for a team that was already going to be playing finals football compared to the other teams that he might have mentioned that were not going to be playing finals football. So uh, I, think, I think people have to get things into perspective. And I think realistically as well, a lot of the experts... Might have finished uh, tip Parramatta to finish somewhere between fourth and sixth, and in reality, that's where they're finishing. Yeah, So well, with, um, you know, with
1: the caveat that a lot of bad luck, injuries have definitely played a part. Going into that funk was partially injury driven as well. Re uh, clean clearly not one hundred percent. So yeah, that once again, sports about luck as much as anything else. When it comes to uh, going deep into the postseason, and here we are with a, despite all the bad luck, in a position to make a run. And that, that's a credit to the club. Uh, and that that's why this week's 3-2-1, it, it's impossible to actually give out an individual. I'm sure if you really wanted to, you could dissect it and say, you know, uh, give Mitchell Moses some points because he's a halfback and whatnot, or Junior Polo and, and Nathan Brown. But th- this is a, a definitely a week where everyone just gets the 3-2-1. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, I'll go uh, three, three points to the coaches, um, two to the... Uh, players' resilience and one to the players' execution. How's
1: that? That sounds pretty good. I, I feel like that's a pretty rare, reflect, uh, pretty fair reflection of how it played out as well. So let's go off that this week.
0: Yep. Okay, and mate. On that, uh,
1: on that rather uh, heartwarming uh, note, let's uh, log off and go enjoy our wins in our respective homes. And I hope that all the fans listening really enjoy this one. This, this is one for the ages. Uh, so much on the line, almost like a final in you know, a, a final, if you know if that makes sense. You know, a final in the regulation season because of what was at stake, and the Eels stepped up and delivered, you know, their finest uh, performance of the season. Uh, I'd argue that the other game against Melbourne perhaps was even of a higher quality, but given the, the conditions and and the respective strengths of the two rosters that were closer to full strength, but because of that, that's why this was a better performance. The Eels vastly on strength coming into this game, compounded by Three injuries to starters, Lane near Corey, uh, HIA'd, Gufferson picking up some sort of lower leg injury that should be okay. He's going to get scans per Rafa, but they're not too worried. Uh, but losing three starters, including your fullback, and they they literally belted the Melbourne Storm off the park. Physical domination, uh, the, the effort, the speed, the desperation, everything that we were looking for in this game, they delivered. And for that, I salute everyone at the club. Well done.
0: Heels forever, mate. That's it.
1: Thanks for stopping by and listening. Catch all the post-game content on TCT. Mitch will have his grades up at some point, if not already by the time the podcast is up. Um, obviously, this will be up as his own standalone post. And, yeah, enjoy the weekend because I know I am. See you guys. Cheers, mate. Next Bye, week. everyone.